Good morning. I've been greatly encouraged on two fronts that I could think of. Um, Hannah. Well, well done, Hannah. I don't know if any of you know this, but Hannah is a direct answer of prayer in many respects, a miracle birth. And um, amidst the difficulties of life and challenges of raising young children in our day and age, let us not forget what really is important, and that's instilling the Word of God in our children. What an example. And uh, so I'm greatly encouraged. I'm also encouraged, um, I like construction. So when I go out and see the construction out there, I'm encouraged. Um, first of all, I see things that are done right. I see the size of those headers, thickness. I see the engineered beams. I see the strength of the structure going up. And I'm interested in that. That's a personal interest that I have. Um, it's something building, something that is developed. It's a development. And I, um, what came to my mind is the same thing, I think, that came to Matt's mind. And uh, the true building of God. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I wish that we had such spiritual eyes to where we could see that building as it stands right now, the same way we can see that structure. Eyes with a viewpoint from heaven, seeing not only just the church, the living stones that are made up of those that truly know the Lord Jesus Christ here in this locale, but in every locale on the face of the earth, and even beyond that, every true Christian that has ever lived since the beginning of the church age. What a marvelous structure that must be. What tremendous pillars must be in that building. Not with dead wood. Not with minerals that we make Portland cement concrete out of. But living stones. Oh, how much the Lord must take joy in that as he sees that go up. And oh, how he must wait for the day that it's completed. That's encouraging. So we're in a building process, not just out there, but in here and not just here, but all over the world. The Lord is building his church. He's calling out uh, individuals that would seek after him. And so with that, let's open up to Luke chapter one. We're in character studies in the New Testament. I've already spoken on uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, and now I'm going to speak about their son. Hopefully it'll be the Lord speaking through me um, because that's the only way it's going to do us any good. John the Baptist, John the Baptist. Now, I'll share something personal uh, with you. He's not mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, but he's one of the heroes of the faith to me. When I think of my heroes out of the scripture, he's one of the first ones that come to my mind. And as we see um, this message progress, hopefully you'll see why. John the Baptist. When I think of John the Baptist, after we read some of this portion or before we do, um, I think of an outdoorsman. John the Baptist was an outdoorsman. In a different sense that we think of outdoorsmen today. Uh, he was a spiritual outdoorsman, let's say. My dad was an outdoorsman. He died when I was 13 or 14. And um, my memories of him go back to highlights. Um, and when I think of him, I think of those highlights. He was a hunter. Before that, I should say he was an Eagle Scout. I don't know if you know what that is, but... Um, Back in that day, it was hard to be an Eagle Scout. I don't know how it is today. Maybe it's just as hard today. But back in the day, it was hard 
to be an Eagle Scout. You had all these badges that you had to earn, and you had this sash, and it was just filled with these badges. And he, he kept the news article that when he became an Eagle Scout, and that was a big to-do in the city that he lived in. But I just remember him as an outdoorsman. He would go hunting. He'd go deer hunting and elk hunting. And I remember one time, you know, the things that stick with, your, with you as a kid. He didn't get anything that year, but he, he brought back some elk antlers. And they were like four or five feet long. And uh, they had been laying on the ground, so they were white. So we got to refinish them and stain them and varnish them to make them look like they were just right off the elk. I remember he used to like to take us camping. I could remember going camping with these little ponds, and we had a German shepherd. And the highlights, the German shepherd chasing a butterfly over the, the, the hedge and just right into the, the pond, you know. And uh, gobs of frog eggs, you know, just uh, a little boy's adventure land, the out of doors. Um, my dad was uh, an outdoorsman. I can remember he'd go hunting for not just deer or elk, he'd go frog hunting. They had what I didn't know until he explained it was a gig, and they'd go get their frogs, go out to Tracy, and he'd bring back a gunny sack full of frogs. And even though many of them, if not all of them, were pierced, they were still alive. And he'd bring back a couple that weren't pierced just for his sons to play with. you know. And he brought back these tadpoles that were like four or five inches long. Their heads were the size of a golf ball. I took those to school, and I was the envy of all the kids, with these wild animals, right? <laughs> So he used to hunt frogs. I can remember he used to go abalone hunting. And my dad wasn't a hunter just to hunt. We ate what he, what he got. And so we had some abalone. I can remember I wanted to go with him, abalone diving. He said, oh, no, you'll drown. And at that time, I was a little older. My understanding of drowning went beyond going down the drain in the swimming pool when the water went out. Um, but he said, no, I wasn't old enough. So I couldn't go abalone hunting with him. Um, and my mom was up to the task, too. He brought home the frogs, and, and she'd chop them up and gut them and, and uh, broil them, and we'd eat them. And I, I won't get into the details, but it's not a pretty picture. <laughs> I can remember my dad bringing home three geese, three live geese, and they were as tall as I, were. I was at the time, and they'd be running around the backyard. I'd go, oh, we got some new pets. And I was nope, those are for eating. <laughs> and I, I can remember the day, for the day of the slaughter. And... I don't think you can get away with that in, in South Hayward now. I, I mean, you'd probably have the animal rights people knocking on your door, and you'd have, I mean, you'd be in trouble. But, uh, yeah, she would slaughter them in the garage sink, you know, and uh, she was up to the task. So for a little boy, maybe this is a guy thing, uh, it sure makes for an interesting life when you see how things used to be done. done you know, not today. Uh, we have the easy life. We have the easy life. And so uh, my dad was an outdoorsman. I have a brother-in-law, Rick Currier. We've prayed for him. Uh, he has cancer. But he's a vivid or vivid outdoorsman. Huh? Avid, thank you. He's an avid outdoorsman. Now, he um, has lots of guns, but what he likes hunting with is a bow and arrow. And he's brought down 600-pound elk with that bow and arrow. I mean, he is good. Um, but as he explains to me how they hunt with a bow, um, another thing enters into my mind, and, and, and that is there's an easy way to do things and there's a hard way of doing things. Okay? Long time ago, they did things the hard way. But now we have developed to where we can be an outdoorsman in a little easier sense. You see, they have a perch they set up in on a tree, and it's all camouflaged. And they've already scoped out the situation, so they know 
the trails that these deers and elk are going to take. And so they just wait. And all you have to do is just be quiet. Don't make any sounds. Don't make any movement. You know, don't smell real bad. <laughs> and, and just wait for them in their sitting ducks. Now, that, to me, doesn't sound too fair. But I guess it's fairer than sitting up there with a gun. <laughs> you know, you get a jump on the season. And so, you see, um, there's an easy way of doing things. And then there's a more challenging way of doing things. Now, if he had to stalk his prey with a bow and arrow, and he wasn't sitting up in a perch, and he had to, he had to get you know, uh, downwind of the animal, and he had to exercise skill in how he gets through the bush without making noise, that would be more challenging, wouldn't it? Which do you think would be the better hunter, at least in your mind, in my mind? So, there's an easy way and a hard way. One thing I like about John the Baptist is not just that he was an outdoorsman, but he was one that didn't, cho- didn't choose the easy way of doing things. He chose the challenging way of doing things, okay? the hard way in a good sense. So he's my example of a spiritual outdoorsman. It was part of his character to not uh, cater to the flesh, not seek comfort, not seek the easy route. We'll get back to that later. First, I'd like to read in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We'll start in verse 11. And the reason why I'm starting here, this is starting with his parents, is because I want to bring out that John the Baptist was born with a mission. He had a mission even before he was born. So let's read about that. Luke chapter 1, verse 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's uh, Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. See, that's a similar situation we had with John, you and Megan. They prayed for a child, and God heard their petition and gave them Hannah. So it's a delight to see her reciting the word of God. But this was John. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit yet while in his mother's womb. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So he had a mission assigned to him before he was even born. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in the, his mother's womb. And so think about that. He had a mission before he was born. Of course, when he was born, he didn't know what that mission was. So how would he discover what that mission would be? Obviously, it was through his parents and through his upbringing. Did you know that you were born with a mission? Did you know that? You were born with a mission. And it, it, obviously, it's not the same mission as John the Baptist's mission. He was a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. You were born with a different mission. We read about it in Acts chapter 17. Let's read it. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 24 through 27. 
And this pertains to you, specifically, personally, individually. It either pertains to you now, where you sit, or it has pertained to you uh, in the past. The God, verse 24 of chapter 17, the book of Acts, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, then we're jumping to the next, the rest part, made from one, that's Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Okay, so God is the creator, and he started with one man, Adam, and from Adam and Eve, he made all nations of the world. Okay? Now, hopefully, you believe in a God that's great enough to do that. Okay? But whether you do or not, he did. Having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Okay, so think about that. This is personally speaking about you. When God brought you onto the scene that's called earth, the day that you were born, God had that planned. That I'm going to make this individual, whether it's Andy Goodwin, Megan, Johnio, Eric, that person's going to be born on this day, in this country, and during their lifespan, this is going to be the boundaries of their habitation. Some people don't move farther than five miles away from where they were born. Other people move to another country. Well, that was all included in God's planned boundaries of your habitation. So God knew all about you. He planned you. And he put you here on earth for a purpose and a mission. And that's in the following words. Why? Verse 27, that they should seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So God put you on earth the day you were born, placed you in the family that he gave to you, and he gave you to them, (laughs) created the boundaries of your habitation, the environment, the stage in which you will live your life out with one purpose, that you might seek God. Though he's not far from you. That we might even grope for him. That we would perceive the longing we have in our heart for him. Because he created us with that longing. And that we should do something about it. That we should seek him. Grope after him. That's our mission. And it's not like Mission Impossible. I used to watch that one as a kid. You know the theme song, Mission Impossible. Your mission, should you decide to accept it. It's not a mission impossible, just like all the missions on that show weren't. Obviously, they were possible because they pulled them off, right? (laughs) But the title makes it sound interesting. But the important part, should you decide to accept it? Should you decide to accept it? So you were born with a mission, but you have to decide to accept it. God will not coerce, will not force. Although he could, he will not force anyone uh, to accept him. He will not push himself on anyone. That's why we live in a day and age where so many people could reject God, could curse God. God is patient and kind and wishes none to perish. And he gives opportunity in time for repentance. But that time will come to an end when his patience wears out and justice must take over. So it's a mission we were born with, but we have to decide to accept it. And there's no going to be any tape recording, you know, destroying itself or anything. 
Do you accept that mission? Do you seek after God? Do you grope after Him? He's not far. He's not far. Some people will mock seeking God. Not not mock in a sense of making fun, but they will do it in a way that really isn't sincere. Really isn't putting the road to the uh, the rubber to the road. Really isn't doing something about it. They can come to church on Sundays. They can even read their Bible. They can even pray. But deep down in their heart, they haven't accepted that mission. They're not groping after God. They're not seeking God with all their heart. And that's why they don't have God in their lives. So the question is, have you accepted the mission? Because God created you with one. He created every one of us with the same mission. Although the boundaries of our habitation might be different. Our times, appointed times. Um, I worked with a fellow. He was one of my bosses. And I said, I think a month ago, he, he woke up dead. He died unexpectedly, just like that. Guess what? The days, his appointed days had come to an end. And so you have a certain number of days in which they will end. Scary thought is, Someone's might end today. Someone's might end tomorrow. So when we think about taking up this mission that you were born with, there is an urgency. We should make haste to complete that mission because if we die with that mission uncompleted, without knowing God through the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way of salvation, the consequence, is what we're going to read about in John's message. Retribution of God. Eternal damnation. God wishes that on no one, but it's your choice. Okay, so the, the unsaved, people that don't yet know God, have a mission. I had one before I came to know the Lord. But the saved have a mission as well. If you have already accomplished that mission, you groped after God, you sought the Lord through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you found out that He died on the cross so that you can have a relationship with God. You came to the place in your life where you realized you deserve the wrath of God. Hell. According to God's word. And you say, God, I agree with you. And as a result, he brought you to the Lord Jesus Christ. The only name that has been given under heaven by which we may be saved. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you come to that place, that mission is accomplished. But you have a new mission. Okay. And this one shouldn't be should you decide to accept it. Because you should want to. Because if you have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, He's given you a new heart with new desires. And this should be on the top of the list. We read about it in Philippians 3.8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And he goes on to explain not that I've already attained it, but I press on toward the goal. So what did he find out? The Apostle Paul found out that this one that loved me so much, my creator, that he would take on flesh and die in my place, must be a fantastic person. It's not a religion. It's not an obligation. This is a very real person, your creator, that wants you to have a personal relationship with Him and has created a just foundation whereby you can have a relationship with Him. And one thing in coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, one discovers 
is that he's such a marvelous and wonderful person that it's addictive getting to know him to which there is no end. He unfolds and manifests the glory of his character as time goes on and it will go into eternity and will never, ever exhaust the beauty of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's exciting. And until you know him personally, you don't know what I'm talking about. It just sounds like stories. Sounds like a pipe dream. But it's reality. And there are people in this room that can attest to the fact from all different walks of life, that it is reality. The Lord Jesus Christ is a marvelous and wonderful person. He's our God. He's the one who created us. And he has a wonderful and marvelous purpose for us that just doesn't stop with this mission. It will take us into eternity. There will be no end. This body gets old and tired. He promises to give me a new body that will not get old and tired, one that will have the capacity to enjoy him forever in an increasing way. As the eons roll by. Boy, that's a lot better than the consequences. The question is, have we taken up that mission here in this life? And I'm a Christian just like other Christians. I'm of the flesh. I have a flesh, the old nature, just like others do. So I know what I'm talking about when I say it is easy to set that mission aside and be distracted with other things. Other things that I might consider legitimate, whether they be my job, that seems to be ever more consuming whether it be the threat of financial catastrophe or loss of some smaller proportions, whether it be whatever, it's easy to get distracted away from that mission of getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ in a more deep, more thorough, more life-changing way. And we sit around as Christians, and I condemn myself in this as well. It's easy to sit around and just wait for the glories of heaven to overtake me. One day, he's going to take me home. It's easy, real easy. And in that case, I'm setting aside the mission that he's laid down for me. And in the end, I'll sacrifice great reward. And I'll be ashamed when I look on the Lord Jesus Christ, the time I've wasted here on earth. I know that's the case. The question is, am I going to be driven from that complacency? Am I going to be driven from that laissez-faire, the Sunday morning Christian mentality? Am I going to be more like John the Baptist, who lived life with gusto, seeking with all his heart, fearlessly proclaiming the gospel or the kingdom, knowing Christ? The Lord Jesus Christ also says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You shall be my witnesses. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have something to testify about. If you have been saved from eternal damnation, from going to hell like I have, you have something to share. You have some good news to share. Why is it that we can meet people that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that are on their way to hell, that haven't a clue, and we can keep silent? There's a number of reasons, but in my life, they boil down to excuses, whether it's out of convenience or lack of convenience, whether it's out of fear of rejection, fear of mockery, scorn and disdain, whether it's whatever it is, it's just a lame excuse to me. What is it to you? At the very least, it should be considered a lack of compassion for the lost. I was in that place at one time. 
And there were individuals that made it a point to come to the community college that I was attending with the purpose of sharing Christ with people like me. And hadn't it been for them, I would be lost. Or someone that would take up the mission that's laid out for us in the Word of God. Also says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, name, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we have a mission of witnessing and making disciples, of raising up and training people in the Word of God so that they might know the truth, so that they might go out and proclaim the truth. That's why it's so encouraging to see Hannah here this morning. Memorizing the Word of God is placing the Word of God in her heart with the hope that we'll see the fruit in her life. And many might be attracted to the Savior through her love for the Savior one day. Make disciples. Paul was able to say near the end of his life, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course. I am again reminded as I look at the example of John the Baptist, will I be able to say that? There have been times where I've laid aside the mission, yes. But will I take it up again? Will I take it up to the point where I'm more zealous after that mission than I once was when I was younger? That's my hope. That's my prayer. Not for me only, but for you as well. Because I've seen in my life a time of lukewarmness, and I've seen that in the lives of others as well. I don't point the finger at others, but I point it at myself. Can you join me in pointing it at yourself? If today you find yourself less zealous, less faithful, less sacrificial than you once were in your life, what's happened? How could it have happened? We'll think about that. John the Baptist. It's said that our society has degraded to the point that social and moral misfits are often the role models for our young people. Many of these people personify drugs, drinking, fornication, and adultery, and an amoral lifestyle in general. They are presented by Hollywood as glamorous and famous. They are the real examples of success, we are told. However, in reality, most of these people are failures, unhappy, and moral cowards. Not John the Baptist. But one thing I want to point out to you, and think about John the Baptist. He came on the scene after 400 years of silence from God. No prophets. And when you think about men of old, Joshua, he had a role model. Moses. Elisha had a role model. Elijah. Timothy had a role model. The Apostle Paul. There were a lot of role models that God provided. John the Baptist had no role model. What did he have? One thing he did have, he had godly parents who feared God and loved God. And we shouldn't make light of godly parents, those that love God. They should be our role models. My parents didn't know the Lord, so I didn't have that role model. But perhaps yours do. His father Zacharias, Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says in Luke chapter 1. Elizabeth, his mother, was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 1. And of course, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in the mother's womb. So have you ever considered you young people, your parents as role models? I've heard people say, 
not in these circles, in other circles, of course. I don't want to be anything like my, my dad. What happened? Something happened. Parents, have you ever considered that you're role models to your children? You know, the greatest compliment a parent could have is when the children follow in their footsteps as they follow the Lord. That's wonderful. There's nothing that can do a person's heart so well to know that their children are walking in truth. Role models. John didn't have one, so he had to be one. He's a good role model for me. Let's read in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Now in the days, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so he called people to repentance. When you think of John the Baptist, you think of the word repent. You think of the message of repentance. What does the word repent mean? It means turning and about face. If I'm heading out that door and I repent, that means I'm going to turn around and I'm going to head out that one. Okay? What does it mean in regards to John the Baptist? People were not heading toward God. They were heading in the opposite direction. The direction of their own desires, satisfying the, the, the desires of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the world. They were actually in the direction of Satan. And God sent a man, John the Baptist, to call them to repentance. To repentance. Verse 3, For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Okay, so God had designed and prophesied in the Old Testament that he would send a forerunner before the arrival of the Messiah, and that would be John the Baptist. Aren't you glad he fulfilled that role? He was a big pointing sign to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what our lives should be if we know him, pointing signs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here is where I I see... John is the uh, spiritual outdoorsman. It says in verse 4, Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt about his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. That sort of sounds like a wild kind of guy. You know, not your average run-of-the-mill, blend-in-society kind of guy. You know, he was a Nazarite, so most likely he had long hair and he didn't shave. Everything was all bushy. And here he is in camel's hair and a leather belt, and he has eaten... You know, wild honey and locusts. I mean, that's a good protein diet, I imagine. But uh, I think they'd have to be chocolate-coated for me to like them. He didn't have to do it that way, did he? He could have done it the easy way. And he could have still fulfilled his role. But that wasn't John the Baptist. There was something about his character. And you have to ask your question. Have to ask yourself the question I do. Since he didn't have to wear a garment of camel's hair, he didn't have to eat locusts and wild honey to fulfill his mission, why did he live like that? Why did he live like that? Okay. I don't think John the Baptist was after the easy life. Do you? Now, that's hard for us to understand in our contemporary setting. Do you know why? Because that's what America is all about. Living the easy life. If you've been outside the United States, you will see that we are at the top of the food chain when it comes to living the easy life. Whether it's the conveniences we enjoy. I got a nice wash machine, cleans my clothes real well. 
I go to places in Brazil, and it's the lady back at the tub washing the clothes for her whole family, and that takes hours. Don't tell me she's not sore at the end of that. Oh, and after that, it's time to cook the meals. And it's not convenience like we have. And Brazil's not the poorest of poor countries. We have an easy life in this country. And so when we think of sacrifice, some sacrifices, like perhaps coming to the prayer meeting, midweek meeting of the church, uh, that's a little bit too big a sacrifice for me to come. I got about eight excuses I could use. John the Baptist wasn't after the easy life. He was looking to make sacrifices for the Lord. He was looking to make it hard on the flesh, not easy on the flesh. Making it hard on the flesh so it would be easier on the spirit. He wasn't a softy. You know, when I think of that word soft, we saw an animated film years ago. It was uh, Dalmatians. It's Cruella DeVille. And she said to her two cohorts, you're too soft. You know, I don't want to be too soft. I don't want to be a spiritual softy. I want to fight against that in my life. And if I fall down and fail, I want to get back up and say, tomorrow's another day to work out. Let's have at it again. Are you a softy? Have you compromised convictions that you once held firm, that you were going to be faithful to the Lord? In many other areas besides just the prayer meeting, breaking of bread. Uh, and there's a number of other areas, quiet times. Um, John the Baptist, I don't believe he was after a long life. You can't be living in the wilderness, living like that, and expect it not to have its toll on your body. So what are we after? A nice, comfortable retirement? I would like to think that in the will of the Lord and not outside of the will of the Lord, I would much rather live a life filled with gusto in the will of the Lord, going all out for him and die at a young age than live to be a ripe old man, comfortable where he is, and have a heavy on my conscience that I didn't do much for the Lord, that I wasn't a fighter that I didn't do serious battle against my flesh. I don't, want to, I don't want to be easy on myself. The Apostle Paul said he buffeted his body. And he didn't do it just for body buffing's sake. He did it for the Lord and for his glory. You see, when John the Baptist lived like that, he was freed from the hooks of the world. Do you, you perceive that? If I've got nothing, there's nothing the world can threaten to take away from me. There's no influence the world can yield over me when I haven't got one bit of concern about what the world thinks. The world can take away my pension. The world can take away my retirement. The world can take away my job, my house, my car, all my goods. Oh, I better behave myself. John the Baptist didn't have to worry about any of that. Go ahead. Take my locusts. I'll find something else to eat. Camel hair, you want it? It's flea infested, but you can have it. You see, he wasn't a softy. The, the world couldn't lay its hooks in him. And I believe that must might have been one of the reasons why he lived like that. Out in the wilderness, he wasn't going to be influenced by the world even. He was sheltered, 
closeted with God in the wilderness until his appointed day for his ministry came. And he ran his course like the sun as it comes up on a bright morning and runs across the sky. Finished his course. He denied the yearnings of the flesh. Every one of us have yearnings of the flesh. Mine, they gravitate toward areas of chocolate. Okay, that's, that's my temptation. And you'd be surprised how much I could put away when I haven't had some for a month or two. I can make a couple meals out of it. But that's just one example. Recently, I've been having a goal standard, and I have been married for 25 years uh, on the 13th of April. And we're going to um, spend some time together. But I had a goal between my birthday and my uh, anniversary to get down to the weight and the shape that I was in when I married her. And I tell you, it's been a struggle. <laughs> And one thing I learned is that this body is tired when it gets up in the morning and it's sore. Joints are aching. And I do not feel like going to the gym at 4 o'clock in the morning. I mean, I just don't. And so maybe you can relate to that. Um, But one thing I found out, when I have a will to do it and I go in, I, I start out sore. But about 45 minutes into it, I, I forget my soreness. And about an hour and a half when I'm on my way home, I'm thinking, man, do I feel good. I'm glad I went. But you see, there's that reluctance at the beginning. You know, it's the flesh that says, no, 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 no. You're sore. Your joints are aching. You really need rest. Your body needs to rebuild itself. See, take your ease. Rest a little bit. And you know where that, that's gotten me in the past? Putting on more pounds, getting more out of shape, having a more sore back. So it's the lie. It's the lie of a a life of ease. You see, when you fight against those principles, you really do yourself good in the end. How much more so in the spiritual area? I don't feel like going to prayer meeting tonight. I haven't had dinner yet. Heaven forbid I should go without dinner. You know how many times I've gone out with dinner, just gone without dinner just because I wanted to? Here's an opportunity to call it a sacrifice and get eternal reward. Wow. That's a nice exchange, right? I'm sore. I need to rest. Well, I've gone to the gym sore before. How much more should I be willing to go pray with the saints while I'm sore? You see? It just depends on how we look at it. If we're fighters. John the Baptist was a fighter against himself, against his flesh, against the world, against all fronts so that he could be faithful to God. And that's why he's my hero. Because I may fail... I may fall on my face, but that's who I want to be like. He's my role model. And he's a good role model because he steers me right toward God. And I'm, I'm, I'm fired up when I see his life. I want to live a life like that. I want to get to the end and say, well, that was better than sitting on my duff, not doing much, or just acting. He was serious. And he was dependent on God. You can't live a life like that without dependence on God. You can't. It's totally of God, not of the flesh. And so when you see people like that, John was filled with the Holy Spirit. God gets the glory. It's not done in the power of the flesh. But the desire has to be there. The taking up of that mission, impossible, that's not impossible, has to be there and God will give the strength. If John were with us today, what would you think of John the Baptist? Bushy beard, long hair. He hasn't taken a shower in who knows how long. He's wearing animal skin with the fur sticking on the inside. Leather belt. And he's got locust legs sticking up from between his teeth, right? 
But that's okay because he's got lips sweet with wild honey. So he's downtown preaching. What do you think of a guy like that? I think most likely we, he would be considered a homeless, a homeless looking street preacher with a couple cards shy of a whole deck. Maybe 5150. Right? He would definitely be someone people scorn. I know, because I've seen people like that. Downtown San Francisco, Union Square, I had a job, Louis Vuitton. Lunchtime, we'd be out there, and this thing was a hubbub of activity, and there was this street preacher on the corner, and he was preaching. And, of course, we had the whole construction site out there in Union City, I mean in Union Square, eating. And so that was sort of like the entertainment for most people. And he was preaching the Word of God. And he was preaching just like John the Baptist, how the wrath of God is coming. And he preached repentance. And he preached about eternal damnation. Everything he was saying sounded like they could have come out of the words of John the Baptist. And yet, he looked like he was homeless. He wasn't dressed up in a tie. He, his hair wasn't particularly combed. And so the appearance of him and his message caused people to scorn. But if you knew the word of God, you'd realize the value of a soul like that. Those people are going to be held accountable for hearing that message. And so I don't think John the Baptist would have too nice of a reception in our day either, even by some Christians. You know, you start preaching a message like John the Baptist and you're going to get people angry at you. They're going to be a little upset because John the Baptist had a way of pointing out just exactly where a person has gone wrong, where they need to change and repent. So, let's remember, John the Baptist was fearless. That's what I like about him. He didn't mind just laying it down like it is. If he were here today doing that, there would be all kinds of criticism about him. Yeah, he spoke the truth, but he didn't do it in love. Oh, poor me. I didn't hear it in love. He spoke the truth. Let's hear it in truth. You know, let's not be softies in the way we listen. Um, there'd be all kinds of criticism about him. In Matthew 3, verse 5, Then Jerusalem was going out to him in all Judea and all the district around Jordan. Okay, so if anything else, there were those that would go out because they heard that he was preaching about God. But there were those that were just going out for a sideshow. See what this was all about. <clears throat> and they were being baptized him by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sin. Okay, so there are some there that were actually genuine. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Boy, he doesn't sound too kind when he says that, does he? He doesn't sound too happy that they might be actually repenting, does he? <coughs> actually, I think he sees through their hypocrisy. Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. He seemed to be able to read their mind. And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who comes after me is mightier than I. And I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barns, but he will burn up, with, uh, burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. 
So you see, John the Baptist, he was a pretty practical guy. You know, he recognized there has to be fruit meets with repentance. If I say I repent, but I don't change, where's the repentance? If I'm a thief and I say I repent and I continue to steal, have I repented? If I live an immoral lifestyle and I say I repent, but I continue in that immoral lifestyle, have I really repented? Have I had a change of heart? Because the change of heart that the scripture calls repentance leads to a change of life. And if it doesn't, it's not true repentance. It's not true repentance. Bill McDonald used to have a phrase <coughs> that he, he coined this seeming phenomenon that happens oftentimes in the life of a person that eventually comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called, he called it, pre-conversion sanctification. And that's where a person is really interested in seeking after God. He senses a lack of God in his life. And he starts making some changes in his life to sort of head in that direction. At that point, doesn't understand the gospel, doesn't know the gospel, but there's something happening in their life, in that person's life. For me, it was true. I can remember before I got saved, it was a month or two before I got saved, I realized something's missing in my life. And so I started praying. And I would, I would, in my ignorance, I would pray as if I was talking to God, but just to cover my bases, I'd say, quote, the Lord's Prayer. You know, which really it was example, an example to us, but I just repeated it. And, um, I had never done that before. I'd never prayed before like that, except for maybe a couple of times I thought I was going to get caught by the police. I prayed, no, Lord, don't let them catch me. <laughs> but uh, pre-conversion sanctification is something happening in your life. It's a change. John the Baptist recognized, listen, you guys say you're repentant, let's see some change. Because I'm not going to accept it until I do. He was a, don't listen to what somebody says, just watch what they do kind of guy. And that's real practical. I like that. He had an unpopular message, but he didn't shrink away from delivering it as given to him by God. And in that message, was consistent with the word of God in its entirety. It says in Acts chapter 17, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation that they should seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. Therefore, verse 30, after overlooking the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. God is declaring that all men everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which judgment will come and the one doing the judging will be the one who he pointed to and confirmed by raising him from the dead. And we all know who that is. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, John's message of judgment is consistent with all of Scripture. <coughs> and my big fear here at Calvary, and even being a Christian as I have people over or I talk to people about Christ, is being a nice guy. And maybe you don't know me as a nice guy, but sometimes I surprise myself. I'm, I'm actually nice sometimes. <laughs> and we, don't, we want to hold back that, meth, that, that message of God's judgment and retribution. 
You know, if you're here today and you've been here a number of times, you don't know Lord Jesus Christ and the saints are all nice to you. It's not that we don't love you and it's not we don't appreciate your company. And it's not that we're not glad that you're hearing the word of God. But things can't continue in that state because there is pending judgment. And for you, it might be tomorrow or next week if he calls you, if your day, your appointed time has come. Or it might be come in the same time period because now he's going to wrap it all up. And the day of judgment is upon us. And it'll be like the days of Noah when he built the ark. He preached, it's coming, rain. They said, what rain? It's never rained before. What's rain? Water falls from the sky. You're crazy. It didn't happen then. God says it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And that's why I'm building the boat. Anybody wants to get saved? Come on with me. And they didn't. Then all of a sudden, God called all the animals in the ark. Close the door, seal it up, rain started. What do you think the people were doing then? Wow, water from the sky. I remember that message. We better go find Noah. Couldn't get to him. It was raining so hard. Floods everywhere. Everybody perished because they didn't listen. And that day surprised them like a thief in the night. And that was Jesus' message. Judgment will come like a thief in the night. And it might be tonight. So my fear is that we're so nice that we fail to deliver the urgency of the message to repent, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Know this wonderful Savior. He's got so much in store for those that repent. But the, the other side of it, it says, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at at all who believe. So there's the two sides. Either you're going to receive retribution or you're going to marvel at the glory he's going to display and you're going to be part of it. But the decision is yours. The question is, what's your decision? Have you put it off? Have you procrastinated? Have you said, well, tomorrow or I'm not quite getting it. I guess I'll come for another six or seven years. You might not have that long. So there is an urgency to the message. And that's what I want to bring forth with this message from John the Baptist. We're going to continue next week and talk about John the Baptist, a little bit more about his character and the Lord Jesus Christ appraisal of the man because that's what really counts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for the example of this life on fire for you, John the Baptist. Lord, we're so grateful that you have such a character, such a role model for us to look to. Lord, I do pray for anyone here this morning that perhaps has heard the word of God many times, the gospel, and has procrastinated, put off that decision of repentance. Oh, Lord, that you would press home to their hearts the importance, the urgency of not putting off till tomorrow what should be done today. <clears throat> Lord, and for us that do know you, and oftentimes we've let you down, oftentimes we've set aside the mission that you've called us to. Lord, we've fallen to a secondary level in our Christian life where once we burned brightly for you, it seems as though the, the flame is waning and waxing and burning low. Lord, we pray that you just breathe life into that fire. And, Lord, that we might challenge and encourage one another and live lives more devoted, more on fire 
for you than we ever have before. We ask it and pray in your name. Amen.